Bankless Nation, we have a special episode for you today. What is next for USDC? That is the stablecoin at uh, the center of much of crypto today. And David, we brought on the perfect guest to give us the scoop and to tell us what's next for USDC and to tell us what happened last weekend, the crazy weekend where USDC was trading 10 cents off of its peg in the midst Never of- Never thought it would have happened. Banks melting down, yeah. all sorts of chaos. So who do we have on today? Jeremy Allaire, the CEO and, and I believe co-founder of Circle, uh, the producers of USDC, uh, a probably one of the most important pieces of infrastructure in this DeFi landscape. It traded all the way down to 88 cents. Uh, I've seen DAI trade off of its peg. I've seen other stable coins trade off its peg. I've never seen USCC trade off of its peg. So we, I really just want to get the update. Uh, what? How has Circle reacted to the events of this banking crisis and what has changed for Circle moving forward? And so we're just going to get the update from Jeremy Allaire. Guys, we're going to get right to the episode with Jeremy. But before we do, we want to speed run the sponsors who made this episode possible. Stick with us. Kraken is our strategic sponsor for 2023. Why? Because Kraken has been around for over 12 years and has proven itself to be deeply aligned with the crypto industry. Trusted, centralized crypto platforms are hard to come by these days, which makes the few remaining ones even more valuable. With over 9 million users and not a cent lost, choosing Kraken as our strategic sponsor for 2023 was a no-brainer. We need exchanges like Kraken to provide the on-ramps to get people to go bankless. And Kraken's emphasis on security and transparency makes us feel good about having them as a sponsor. If you're unsure about your centralized exchange or on-ramp, perhaps open an account with Kraken today. And if you're unsure about the rest of Web3, well then maybe you should get your learn on with MetaMask Learn. Learning about crypto is hard. There's no one out there to hold your hand to get into this industry until now. MetaMask Learn is the best place I've ever seen to send someone to learn everything there is to know about Web3. If you're a company trying to onboard employees or you're a son or daughter trying to onboard your boomer parents, MetaMask Learn is the place to send them. Interactive and engaging lessons, making learning about Web3 fun, and easy. Now, once you're through Kraken's gates and you've taken the MetaMask course on what's a DEX, you're safe to make your first stop into the world of DeFi. Where better to start other than Uniswap? Uniswap is, of course, a decentralized exchange for crypto asset trades and swaps, but it's now also an NFT aggregator as well, making Uniswap some of the best decentralizing trading tech that's out there. Uniswap's big announcement at ETH Denver is their Uniswap wallet, which is waiting to get released to the public as soon as Apple stops being a big old bully about crypto apps in the App Store. Uniswap is basically on every chain that's relevant in the crypto ecosystem. So if you want to use Uniswap, but with the cheapest possible fees, then use Uniswap on Arbitrum. The Arbitrum Layer 2 is the host of Ethereum's most vibrant DeFi and NFT communities. Arbitrum is already surpassing the ETH layer one in transaction volume, and it's not even close to full capacity. With so many vibrant communities on Arbitrum, Arbitrum is a good place to call home for the era of layer twos. Speaking of settling into new homes, the Phantom Wallet is now available on both Ethereum and Polygon. That's right, the number one wallet on Solana is expanding into the Ethereum ecosystem. Phantom is the one wallet for everything, displaying NFTs, making NFT trades, swapping tokens, staking tokens. So if you're a multi-chain surfer or an NFT power user, then the Phantom wallet is for you. It also comes in mobile. Check it out at phantom.app. Now let's get into the interview. Bankless Nation, we are joined by Jeremy Allaire. He is the CEO and founder of Circle the company behind USDC. Jeremy, I know things are really busy over there. We appreciate you making the time to update the crypto community and what's going on. How are things? I mean, you feeling okay? It was a pretty crazy yeah. weekend last weekend. How are things now? It, it's, um, 
Yeah, it, it's been really dramatic. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't just last week. I mean, it, it started as, you know, you saw a, a bank failure with Silvergate Bank, which, as you know, um, is a bank that many digital asset firms, crypto firms and others, you know, work with. Um, it's been, you know, I, I know something you guys have been talking about for a little while, uh, this sort of, you know, bank de-risking, like all, all kinds of impacts of the banking system on, on, on crypto. That's been kind of a theme since the start of the year. Um, and then, you know, of course, um, you know, these sort of systemic financial stability issues that emerged out of nowhere um, or seemingly out of nowhere, which, you know, we can we can talk about wh whether regulators were asleep at the wheel on that as well. Um, but, you know, it's been a it's been a dramatic period of time. And so, you know, we began last week with uh, basically Silvergate shutting down and us having to like decommission rails for lots of companies and a lot of really kind of challenging situation. And then on Wednesday, we went into a period where it was announced that, you know, Silicon Valley Bank had uh, had significant withdrawals and uh, was needing emergency funding. And they were saying, we're going to get the emergency funding. And at that point, I think, um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people began to freak out and then ask a question, you know, is there a broader set of risk in commercial banks in the United States, especially kind of mid-sized commercial banks? Um, and, uh, and, you know, you began to see kind of panic, uh, emerge and that then manifested itself in, you know, uh, ultimately the closure of multiple banks, uh, and the federal reserve, uh, you know, stepping in basically saying, we're going to provide $700 billion of liquidity to the commercial banking sector and insure all uninsured deposits. Uh, I think that the, the, the real risk was that, you know, the, the, the sort of asset and liability management uh, as that kind of imbalances that were really the result of rising interest rates and then essentially banks holding long bonds and then having liquidity crunches uh, against that, you know, was was undermining financial stability. So um, that's like the macro kind of going into Wednesday <laughs> in terms of what people are seeing. So for us, pretty dramatic. Um, and, and I think it's, it's actually worth level setting you know, before kind of going into that a little bit about the way USDC operates, right? Which is when we launched USDC five years ago, we really wanted to build something that was regulated uh, and that was supervised and that had, um, you know, the approval of, of, of kind of payments and banking regulators to operate connected to the banking system. Like the key concept was we need a way to be able to seamlessly, you know, kind of create and redeem dollar digital currency um, connected to the banking system. And at the time, the regulatory framework for that in the US was basically, you know, what's called stored value electronic money law, which is the same law that governs your PayPal balance, your Venmo balance, Cash App, Apple Pay, and like every payment processor you use, they're sort of all governed under that, the non-bank payment systems of, of the United States. And that's a good regime because you're required by law to hold one for one redeemability. You have a very narrow set of financial instruments that you're allowed to hold. And that's by law. You can't, if you go outside of that, you're going to lose your licenses, lose your bank accounts, et cetera. And, you know, we, we obviously also wanted to be more transparent. Like if you ask PayPal, uh, you know, what, what, what's in your reserves? Like people don't even think to ask that there's $35 billion. Like, what well, is it corporate bonds? What is it? No one asked that question, but in, in crypto, Everything's public. Everything's transparent. People want to understand risk, and so we began, you know, the whole trend of of monthly attestations from public accounting firms and sort of saying, yes, the money's there. Here's how many tokens, that kind of thing. 
So that I think was was sort of the state state of play five years ago. And there was really only one bank that would actually provide the capabilities needed to do this, which was Silvergate Bank. That was, you know, and in, in many ways, it was sort of the birth of USDC that then created the basis for Silvergate actually to 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 grow in some ways, because you know, people who needed to get in and out of digital dollar liquidity in, in the form of USDC could do that 24-7 through there. So if you fast forward, as this has scaled out over the past few years. You know, our goal was we just we want to, as as uh, one of my colleagues says, it's sort of from our perspective, it's a race to the top, not a race to the bottom. And race to the top was like, how do we keep increasing transparency? How do we keep you know increasing the quality of the reserves with an ultimate end state, which we've we've stated publicly for years now, which is that we believe the base layer of you know kind of dollars on the internet needs to be uh, essentially straight through government obligation money. Meaning it should be cash at the Federal Reserve and it should be, you know, these sort of T-bills, these short duration T-bills. And that's basically cash or cash equivalency. And like a digital cash instrument should do that. Like we shouldn't depend on the, you know, the risks inherent in the fractional reserve banking system uh, to underpin that. Now, legally that, has, or, and, and from a kind of technical and, and regulatory perspective, that wasn't possible for us. But we've been moving over time as more banks got comfortable with, Firms like Circle to expand the number of banks that could hold, uh, you know, reserves. Uh, we expanded the number of banks that could handle transaction processing with USDC, um, and th there's some big breakthroughs actually. Kind of, um, you know, over the last six months, and, and two really noteworthy ones. One was um, we we moved, you know, essentially 80% of the reserves to be exclusively in these short-term T-bills, but we set it up in this structure. Um, in a in a strategic partnership with BlackRock, BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world, eleven or ten trillion ish assets, and we created something um, called the Circle Reserve Fund, which basically is an SEC registered and supervised reserve fund. It is a government money fund. It it, it exists exclusively for USDC reserves, and it's held entirely for the benefit of USDC holders, and that allowed us to basically offer. Um, Total transparency. So anyone in the world can go any day of the week and look at the USDXX ticker, and they can see exactly the portfolio of T-bills, their maturity, et cetera. And so they can see, okay, 80% of this is this highly liquid thing. And it's also independently, it's SEC supervised, it's independently uh, audited. And, and so that's like part of the race to the top. How do we keep increasing that? But then we have this 20%, which is in commercial banks. And you know, our, our goal is also a race to the top, race to the top there. We know that sitting inside of that is commercial bank risk. And so what you, 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 you know, you sort of prudently you look at, okay, we want to have A-rated, publicly traded financial institutions. We want to have like the best possible kind of quality there. Um, and you know, I think our goal over time was like, how do we get more and more of this at like the largest cash custodians in the world? So if we're going to have that, we have that in place. So we actually began work with Bank of New York Mellon, BNY Mellon. It's like the first you know, bank in the United States, Alexander Hamilton founded it, and they hold $24 trillion of assets. So they're, 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 a, they're a globally systemically important bank, and, and that's important. So we had this relationship developing, and, and actually, literally, as everything went down last week, uh, we, we, you know, it was, it was kind of like, okay, it looks like commercial banks more broadly, including banks that we worked with, were going to fall over. And so we began the process of basically moving cash into 
Bank of New York Mellon, right? We want to be the the most solid, you know, kind of dollar cash infrastructure in the world. Um, and you know, we we began that process on Thursday, and we completed that process on Friday. And in the middle of it, SVB got shut down. <laughs> and wow! So, wow! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, uh, we've got three point three billion dollars in transit, and it's actually we can see in the Fedwire system, like the receiving bank, like is acknowledging, yes, this is incoming, but it, the the wires like stuck. It just hasn't uh, settled on chain. So it's that yeah, pending it transaction hasn't settled thing. Off chain. It hasn't settled on, <laughs> on, 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 on the Fedwire ledger, right? Because someone <laughs> someone hit a stop button and said, no, uh, we got we to gotta, like stop the blood from flowing from this bank and figure out what we're going to do. And so, you know, a huge flurry of activity, obviously. We, we publicly disclosed this because we felt that USDC holders should know. You know, as soon as we publicly disclosed what we knew and the details of what we knew, we repegged to 98 cents, which was great. But before that, it was like you said, it was like people were like, oh, my God, is this over? Right. You know, you know, just like and, and you know, the way these digital asset markets and DeFi and everything, it just moves at the speed of the Internet. And so it's just like that kind of thing. Now, the reality is like the actual risk of that not being fully reserved and available is extremely low. And we, you know, there's only so much you can do to reassure people. And and so, you know, for us, basically, um, we, you know, we, we took we took an incredible number of actions. We also we we were concerned that Signature Bank was potentially at risk. And so we undertook to do the same thing with Signature Bank. And in fact, it turned out they were shut down by the end of the weekend. And that was, again, another rail that existed. So a rail for, for the on and off ramps for creating and redeeming USDC was essentially shuttered as well. And so. To open up minting and redemption on Monday morning, we needed to stand up multiple new settlement infrastructures over three days. Uh, and you know, we had a lot of that already underway because we were sort of marching towards more and more redundancy given the kind of bank risk issues that exist in the sector. And we were able to come online on Monday um, and, and meet our obligations and everything else. And I think you know, th there's <laughs> a, a, a lot of, uh, of, of plan A, plan B, plan C type of activities going on uh, you know, over the weekend. But the interesting thing is coming out the other side of this is, you know, we, we certainly have survived this sort of systemic shock. Um, and the the lesson uh, that, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I said this earlier, but it's sort of, you know, we're in this world now where um, everyone's talking about how we need to save the banks from crypto. And, and right now we're trying to save crypto from the banks. And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, like quite literally. And so and, and and I think on the other side of this, though, we're now in a place where USDC is actually the most secure digital dollar on the internet. We have cash at BNY Mellon, uh, and we have the ability to kind of you know settle through settlement banks. But we've cash at BNY Mellon. We have the Circle Reserve Fund, SEC supervised, with you know only these T bills with daily transparency. It is by far the best, most stable thing out there. And we've had a really positive response from regulators, from others, in terms of how we've handled this. But you know, tr truly extraordinary. Um, and uh, I, I'm actually, I'm in London right now and, and, and you know, meeting with, uh, happened to be in London, um, I, I was able to still go, but um, you know, meeting with a, a lot of major regulators. And, you know, I think this is a, this is a, this is a real test. It was a really, really major test of, uh, of a critical infrastructure. And, you know, I, I'm sure the conversation will lead us into kind of what the, what the future holds for this. No, I think that's exactly right. And it's just uh, hearing this peek into what the strategy of Circle behind the scenes is kind of just gives me a lot of confidence that you guys really know your shit about stuff, 
uh, about how, and it really seems like this was a very intentional strategy to allow for optionality in, in an unknown set of possible crises. And then yeah. lo and behold, one day actually arise where a crisis does come. And there seems to be that there was sufficient optionality in Circle's choices yeah. that they were able to navigate whatever crisis was thrown yeah. thrown your way. Uh, so, uh, you know, tip of the hat, when when we were watching Circle USDC trade down to 88 cents, to me, I was like, man, best deal in the world. <laughs> this is a pan this is like e even if the worst case scenario about Silvergate and uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank happened, like 88 cents still seems insane. And th that seems to be like drawn out in, in the strategy that you're you're giving us here, Jeremy. So uh, the, the question is exactly what you alluded to. How has the Circle strategy adapted now that this new phase change of banking inside of the United States has changed? Like, yeah. what's the new strategy? Like, what are the choices that are being made uh, in the uh, the Circle War Room? Yeah, I mean, look, there's a bunch of things. So I think the first is we want to make sure that as a dollar market infrastructure on the internet, that um, everyone understands that we, the, the the cash reserve is in the you know safest kind of custodial infrastructure in the world, and and obviously continue to reinforce what we had already done with T bills and and what that is, and so that's really key. The next piece, though, is you know um, there's 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 really this need for more banking optionality for the crypto industry, and you you know I think there's been a kind of reconfiguration of risk, and that's come from regulators, it's come from the banks themselves, and so. It's really key for us to bring online new settlement banks. So there's sort of the money in transit piece of this, which is, you know, I, I want to put a wire or a transfer in and I want to get USDC or I want to redeem USDC. It's that settlement layer between, you know, kind of how money moves in and out of the system. We need to, you know, we had redundancy there, which allowed us to be resilient in the face of this, but we need to have more redundancy. And and that's also because, you know, uh, you know, digital asset firms need more banking options. And so that's that's a really key piece. And then the other is, um, you know, we, we, we really want to bring that kind of that transit and settlement closer to people around the world. So one of the big things about USDC is it's 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 a digital dollar that people want all around the world and digital asset markets are highly global. DeFi is highly global. And so we want to make sure that you know people aren't sitting around waiting for a wire to get to the United States. Um, that, you know, if there's people in Singapore or Hong Kong or Dubai or in London or in Brazil that or wherever it is, that we can be kind of out on the edges and make sure that we've got really good, high quality kind of on and off ramps in, in more parts of the world. So that's another thing. And that's part of redundancy as well, sort of kind of making sure that you've got a layer for the on and off ramps um, in, in as many kind of markets as possible. And I think the bigger the bigger piece here, which which does have to do with regulation is you know, what we've been advocating for for years is a way for us to to have like a charter that is with the federal government that allows us to hold cash with the Fed, uh, that allows us to have direct access to the core payment systems and uh, and to make sure that this is like the safest, you know, instrument, you know, kind of digital cash instrument, dollar digital cash instrument in the world. We really, really believe that's key. And the kinds of risks that we were concerned about are exactly the risks that have emerged. And so, you know, philosophically, um, like in the founding of the company 10 years ago, I'm a very deep believer in full reserve banking. This idea that we don't need to have fractional reserve banking, that we could have a full reserve banking model where the kind of base layer of money is this straight through kind of, you know, what I call government obligation money. 
and the payment system innovation is is sort of you know built on the internet in this way in this new software mediated way and then lending can happen outside of that people could lend just like happens in defi now like if i lend usdc to 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 a a, a lending pool like there's no fractional reserve they can't go create more usdc but if you lend your money to a bank they actually create more money they, they actually fractionally reserve and create more money and so a full reserve model where lending markets are are mediated by software and smart contracts and by you know the, the sort of primitives of DeFi, that's the future that we'd like to see um, and and have the base layer be as totally safe as possible. You know, Jeremy, this is uh, this whole conversation has really opened my eyes to all that Circle has been doing and USDC has been doing behind the scenes. So I think the last place I'd I'd left Circle be just because I've been yeah. there's a lot to pay attention to in crypto. You know, like lots of distractions. Yes, there are so many. The the last I left it, it was still kind of, okay, well, Circle probably does the majority of its its banking at at Silvergate. But behind the scenes, you guys had been upgrading the infrastructure in a massive way to get to a a race to the top, safer and safer strategy. And what's really interesting is like, I'm kind of picturing you like even last week at sort of the end stages of, you know, it's like a scene in Indiana Jones where you're you're running over (laughs) the bridge and it's like collapsing behind you, right? It's, It's kind of that. But the end result is um, USDC is actually stronger as a result yes. of this. How did yes. that happen? And you fast tracked that strength, which yes. is so what's really interesting to me is so we started with like, um, let's call Silvergate a no name bank because five years ago it sort of was. You started with USDC only being a, a, in a, in a no name bank. And now here we were even prior to this crisis where you yeah. actually had BlackRock, which is yeah. pretty close to like T-bills. And then you had BNY Mellon which yeah. is like one of the big cannot fail, does not fail yeah. type banks. Right. And I'm sort of wondering is like, if that's been the trajectory, now I'm seeing sort of the, the end state vision. And I'm almost wondering if that end state vision for Circle and USDC is something like a proxy central bank digital currency, mm-hmm. okay? Like I know we're steps before that here and yeah. maybe I'm getting too ahead of myself, but it just feels like that vision of like yeah. USDC we shouldn't have commercial bank, pro, I'll call it protocol risk because we have crypto right. here. It should just be one-to-one with the T-bill. It shouldn't take yeah. any risk of the banking and, or, sector. Or, or literally the central bank liability itself, right? That, can we just make, can we yeah. just, uh, yeah. well, well, my question is, so yeah. I see that, you see that, a lot of people in crypto see that. We also see a complete absence of a US central bank digital currency strategy, right. even though they're writing white, paper, white papers on it all the time. China's like, miles ahead of, of yeah. the US, they need a strategy, they may not know it yet. Will these events precipitate that conversation? Could it actually move forward in that direction and actually be a kind of a growth catalyst to get us there faster? I mean, I think so. I mean, like, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is like, the, the whole discussion of CBDCs, if you recall, actually emerged because of this project called Libra, uh, where everyone was like, that was gonna be this new global stable coin. And so all the central banks were like, no fucking way. Like we're like we're gonna do that. We're not gonna let Facebook do that. I mean, that was basically it. So then they got really schooled on stablecoins. Now quietly in the background, like we were grinding away, like getting DeFi lit up with USDC and all these protocols, and that was 2019. And like that's when we got real product market fit. And then obviously as like things took off in 2020, it it really it really grew really fast. And it turned out like Libra wasn't actually the thing. It was actually something like USDC. Now what's happened since then though is like central banks have sort of said, okay, there's a private sector, uh, you know, open technology innovation model for how this can work. 
And then there's like, we could go build it ourselves. And, and, and mostly now we're in a place where most central banks are like, these will, at a minimum, these are going to coexist. And even if they're going to coexist, stablecoins are here and now. So we need to have a regular, we need to have a way to regulate this now. And so, you know, like the, there's a bill that I, I think will see the, the light of day very soon in Congress, which is like the Payment Stablecoin Act. And th that's the term of art in Washington is a payment stablecoin, which is to differentiate it from, say, like a synthetic derivative stablecoin that's endogenously backed by Luna or, you know, that, that kind of structure, right? A, a payment stablecoin where it's, a, it's like a payment token and it has, it's, can be used to settle a payment obligation as good as cash. The payment stablecoin legislation essentially creates a pathway for private sector actors to have a, a, a formal recognition at the federal level and be connected to the federal, the, the, the federal Reserve Bank. But instead of depending on the government to build technology and innovate, you're depending on public internet infrastructure, public blockchain infrastructure, the crowdsourced open source development that has you know, given growth to the entire internet. And you're doing that and you're allowing that kind of that level of innovation, which is constantly obsolescing itself. And, you, and you're, you're enabling, you know, kind of technology driven, software powered intermediaries to drive the, the development of that. That's the vision. And I think, I think we're much closer to that now. And, and I, think, um, I think it's, very, it's much more likely that if, 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 this, if these incidents actually, you know, the, the, the regulators say, yeah, we don't want these stable coins to tip over when there's commercial bank failures. You actually get to that point where you have a, a higher quality reserve and you've got good supervision because I think if we're going to be a, a market infrastructure, a dollar market infrastructure that you know tons of people in the world depends on, we should be supervised. Like we should be very, very heavily supervised to make sure we're not doing crazy, badass you know stuff. Um, and but and and you know if you get there and you get things like account abstraction and layer twos and all the things that are happening, you can create a user experience that actually could work for billions of people. And so I actually think we're like two, three years away from having at scale you know, a, a regulated model of this that can work at internet scale and work for users. And that's going to happen way faster than central bank digital currency. That, that's going to, that has the potential to happen at kind of internet speed and internet scale. So uh, Jeremy, I guess as, as we close, and I know you're very busy and you have to leave, but this has been fantastic. I've learned a tremendous amount during this conversation. I, I'm curious, we're, we're having a, a conversation a little bit later today with, with Hester Peirce yeah. uh, from the SEC. And of course, I, it feels like coming into 2023, uh, crypto has never faced more regulatory headwinds. Like it feels mm -hmm. like coming out of 2022, there's a lot of resistance. And it's not clear to me yet how politicians and lawmakers will react on the bank of yeah. this bank crisis, right? We mm -hmm. said, you know, the banks failed crypto rather than crypto failing the banks. Is this what the narrative will say? Is this what the politicians will say? Or will they point to crypto and, and, and aim for a scapegoat? That to me is still um, unclear. Yeah. But let me ask you, maybe this is a question uh, that we can relate to some of our regulatory conversations. What regulation do you need? What do you need most from um, Congress or lawmakers, those that are governing this country yeah. in order to accelerate the plan that you talked about? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know what we need is, is 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 a bill that I think, as of late last year, when Congress was turning over, was kind of eighty or ninety percent complete. Which is this what what we refer to as the McWaters bill, which is the the co-chairs of the House Financial Services Committee, Chairwoman at the time, uh, uh, Waters and Patrick McHenry, worked really really closely on a bipartisan bill for stablecoins that would basically create this pathway 
for a, a, a kind of federally registered firm. Uh, so you're not dealing with the patchwork of all these states and you're, and you're up-leveling and, and sort of a race to the top set of standards and give firms like Circle the ability to have the safest foundation in terms of the, the backing and payment system access and, uh, and, and, and make that, you know, a, a, a model legislation that allows the dollar to be the most competitive currency on the internet and to you know, give the US a chance to kind of, as we like to say, win the digital currency space race. So that's what's needed. So I think Congress has an opportunity right now. It's gonna start in the, in the House Financial Services Committee. They have an opportunity to put something forward. And I think you know, there's, a, there's a real shot at that. So that's what we need is we need to see that. And, and that, that will also create the basis for tons of other companies to feel comfortable getting into this industry, um, I think that's been a that's been a huge barrier is not not having that clarity, um, and, and that's both competitively in the stablecoin industry as well as in you know being involved with using this as a technology for other pieces of, of finance and commerce. So we we really need to see something like that emerge. Well, Jeremy, I know you've probably had one of uh, the perhaps most memorable weekends of your life in this last <laughs> weekend. And uh, this has yeah. really turned into this theme of the bear market is that we've got a lot of cleanup to do as a result of uh, yeah. perhaps some of the short termism that we saw in this bull market uh, in 2021 and 2022. So sure. thank you for sticking around and fighting uh, when times go tough. And thank you for, for uh, being quick to adapt when the, when the uh, time came to do that over at Circle. So just thank you for everything thank you're you. doing and uh, uh, providing just the infrastructure that we need to move this industry forward. You're, you're, you're welcome. It's great to be on here and, and uh, look forward to coming on again uh, as all this evolves. There's, this is fast moving and, and mm -hmm. you guys are doing a great job carrying out the, the conversation with, uh, I think, all the right people and all the right topics. So great to be able to join you today. Uh, amazing. Well, Bankless Nation, there you go. Got to end with our usual risks and disclaimers like we always do. None of this has been financial advice. Crypto is risky, but banks are too, aren't they? When you think about it, uh, you can definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.